Well, good morning. Man, it's, um, I love it when God talks to us, speaks to us, draws us closer to him. Um, but this time of year always gets me a little bit, I don't know, it gets me a little nervous um, because I know camping season's coming. And, and we, we got some avid campers. Yeah, you, you guys just say goodbye and just leave us. But what I'm hoping to do is enhance your camping season. I figure, why fight you guys? You guys are going to do it anyway, so I might as well enhance your camping season. Somehow make your camping season more godly. All right? Come on out. Yeah, well... The thing is, I want it to happen there. I, I, whether I'm there or not, I want you to welcome God into your camping trip because we've been talking about this uh, focus on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, uh, the sanctuary of the testimony. Um, there's different names in the Old Testament, but it's the tabernacle that the Israelites built um, according to the plan that God gave Moses on the mountain. Mount Sinai, God is doing this download with Moses, here's the plans, and and he's making the point that this is a shadow, or this is a pattern after the real tabernacle in the heavenlies. All right, so we've got this tabernacle, this is a depiction that uh, I snagged out of my Bible software program, and um, I think it's important for us to look at this and, and realize these, um, the fence around there was made of linen. So you, some of you that have been here the whole series, you've heard me say that before. I think that's striking because it would have been white uh, linen. It's seven and a half feet tall. The fence is. The top of the tabernacle inside that fenced-in area would have stood, uh, you would have been able to see the top of it for another seven and a half feet. Um, above that, and so it would have been striking because it was in the center of the tribes of Israel. They're camped around it, and uh, that that main entrance, the entrance curtain over here on this side, faced east. A lot like this entrance here is facing east, and so as we look at this and, and we study the different parts, we're not going into a great deal of detail, but I, I want us to be able to go into enough that we understand that God is camping out with his people. And I've been saying this is God's big camping trip. And it's an example of things that we can get a hold of and apply to our own lives. And oftentimes, uh, in fact, in the past few months, it's been said by some fairly or at least by, well, no, several, but um, one in particular has come out and said that uh, it would be good if Christians could ignore the Old Testament um, because there's just an awful lot that trips up Christians in the Old Testament, so it would be good if we could do away with that. But I would submit to you today that the Old Testament is what Jesus said <laughs> speaks of him. And that's what we need to look at the tabernacle for because there's many things that teach us about our relationship with God and that God's big camping trip 
is still going on with you today. Did you bring me the, the pointer? Ooh, the power of it all. Yeah, the, the yellow button. Be careful. Don't point that at anybody's eyes. See, can anybody see what I'm pointing at? So one of the things that I think is really interesting, and I'll, I'll talk about here real quick, is right here the different layers um, make the inside of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle dark. And I really wanted, uh, I've, the last few months I've wanted to darken the sanctuary a few times, and this is one of those times that I wanted to be able to make it completely dark in here so you guys could understand what the priests were entering into. It's just these windows here that make it a little extra complicated. Um, and on a Saturday, when I think of something like that, it's a little late to go and get the necessary materials. But um, you guys are going to have to use your imaginations this morning. So keep in mind, this is a 40-year camping trip in the wilderness. Um, plus, this tabernacle will move into the promised land with them. During that expedition, the people learned a lot about God that they didn't know. God is revealing himself. And one of the things that I've been saying a lot is that God cannot be contained there, but he is choosing to define himself here amongst the people of Israel. And I just got to make this point, is that Bonnie cannot contain the fullness of God, but God chooses to define himself in the person of Bonnie to people around her. And if you could personalize that now to yourself, and I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but that's intimidating. It's a good thing we have God doing the work. Amen? So the tabernacle or tent of meeting was a big part of the expedition and how they learned about God, how they learned to relate to God, and it was a shadow of things to come, and, and I've covered that scripturally. I'm not covering that today because I'm trying to move along uh, because literally some of the detail that I want to go into can't be contained <laughs> in the time that we have together this morning, so some of this is going to move over into next week as well. So as I said, the gate would have faced east. Entering would be done in a western direction, so it just happens to be that our building here is uh, aligned kind of that way. So as you're entering into the tabernacle, you've got the brazen altar where there's a sacrifice being done. You've got the uh, bronze laver uh, up there where the priest would wash. And it's important to realize that out there in the... Got to use this technology here. Out in this area here, it's messy, it's noisy, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. So, if we can go to that, um, I think I'm going to have you go, go beyond that. We'll have to come back to that. I got that in the wrong order. There we go. So, this is where we started and uh, the whole idea is, uh, I want you guys to kind of notice these words, you know, brazen altar, you come in, it's the gate, and it's atonement, it's the way. Um, the bronze laver is right here, this outer court, 
right here, like I said, is noisy, but there's a door. Go to the next slide if you could, Elaine. This door provides the entrance into the holy place. And last week we talked about this table of showbread, which is right here, the bread of presence, the, uh, the bread that um, is always placed every seven days, fresh bread is brought in. Last week we demonstrated, uh, although I kind of went off the rails a little bit on that, but we had the kids come up and gather around, and tradition says that the priest would gather around, hold hands, and then receive the old bread and partake of it, eat, eat that bread completely, and then they would put on the new bread. And that was eating the bread in the presence of God. It was a matter of, and, and, and this is interesting because any time a major agreement was made in those times, it was always sealed with a meal. And when you guys, when we come and partake of communion, it's because Jesus sealed his covenant with us with a meal. And we remember that covenant. We celebrate, we remember his death every time we partake of that. And like I've said, it always interests me that Jesus said, you proclaim my death. Well, that sounds like... Couldn't we proclaim your rising again from the dead? And, and I think it's important for us to realize is that, that just as Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, that when we come and partake of communion, and we'll do that next Sunday, when we come up and we partake of communion, we are proclaiming his it is finished until he comes again. Amen? So... This picture of the tabernacle, as we come in, the, the atonement, the way is made. The picture for us is of Jesus providing the atonement we need and the way into the holy place. In this diagram number two, as we see that right there, um, the priest would enter to the right on the north side would be the table uh, of showbread, the golden table. Remember, everything outside the, the tabernacle was bronze which is kind of the more earthiness of it, going inside the tabernacle to the holy place, it would be gold. And the reason for that is it represents royalty. It, it re represents purity. And so as we go in there, the table of showbread, the bread of presence, bread equals life. And the first thing is, is when you, um, and when, when I say equals life, <clears throat> if you don't eat for a few days, you get hungry, right? Some of you get hungry after Maybe you're hungry right now, all right? But the point is, is that bread, we need food to be sustained. And God is the giver of life. He's the one that provides um, our sustenance. But it's also, this represented the 12 tribes of Israel and would always be before them. And so when the priests came in, they were always focusing on changing that bread out and taking care of that. And so uh, in the Tabernacle 3, if you go to the next one, Elaine, we got some other things happening here. So we start with atonement. We start with the way. We go, we see there's an entrance into this holy place, the sanctuary, 
And what's happening here is there's a transformation taking place. We started with atonement where we didn't feel worthy. Then we have entrance to go in. And then we start realizing there's holiness going on. And what I want to, I want you guys to see is, and we sang this in that song, you have called me deeper. The way the, the tabernacle is set up is it's meant to draw you in. It's meant to draw us deeper into that place. And this morning, you know, I, most of you know I, I grew up in church. And every once in a while, one of those old songs that we used to sing many, 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 many years ago pops into my head. And see, and the reason why is I was thinking about this message this morning, and I was thinking about God, you know, and, and we, we talked about this, that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine you're walking with God, the, the, the God who speaks things into being. But after the fall, we, we see God as having limited involvement with, with a few as, as we go through the Old Testament. But as we get up here to Exodus, we see that God comes down and tabernacles with his people. And the song that I thought of for those of you that care... Heaven came down and glory filled my soul when at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. In the tabernacle, glory came down, we know, that even before they built the tabernacle, there was a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. As they built the tabernacle and they put it into position, then we know that that cloud began to rest over the tabernacle itself, over the Holy of Holies. So <clears throat> entering into holiness, I want us to see, Again, I want to repeat this. The coverings of this tent would make it completely dark inside. As the priest would enter to the left, on the south side would be the golden lampstand. I don't have a menorah. I had to just go with candles today. But as we look at the picture, <clears throat> if you can put that one up, and just leave that one up for a bit. And you guys, there's so much detail in this. I could probably talk for two or three hours about this. Um, but I, don't worry, I'm not going to. And, and this is the best representation I could come up with. But um, this middle one, they don't even know if this is exactly what the menorah looked like in, in the Old Testament. But this is one of the depictions that's come up. And the reason why I like it is because the menorahs of today have eliminated most of this detail right here. And, and we're going to read why that detail, and we're going to do a little bit of study and find out why that detail of those blossoms and those knobs is important. And, and again, Hans, Hans and I have been talking. He's been doing some study as well. And there's, him and I were geeking out last Sunday after service about the detail that there is. No, it wasn't last Sunday. It was a couple Sundays ago. Um, but we were, yeah, and, 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 we're, and we're just like bouncing off each other. This is, 
don't worry, I'll try and not geek out too much with you guys today, all right? But this is important right here because uh, we're going to talk about this part of it next Sunday quite a bit. Um, but these were oil. This was lit by oil. And, and as you can see, I just have pillar candles here right now. But the middle one would be lit first. And that middle light is the seventh. Right? You guys with me so far? Seven's kind of important in Scripture. Represents completeness. The other six would receive their light from the, the middle lamp. What does six represent in Scripture? The number of man. So I, I like the, the picture of that for us because it's showing us that we need Jesus. We need the light of God in our lives. But let's read about this. In Exodus 25, starting in verse 31, you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls. Now, you guys know what it's talking about when it says bowls? Those right up here. Okay. Uh, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece, and six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand... On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Have I lost anybody yet? Okay, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. That's no small feat, by the way to make it out of one piece of gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it, and its wicks, trimmers, and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Now, first of all, when we talk about almond blossoms, the, the almond... Um, Tree is the first tree in Israel which awakes from its winter sleep and blooms. Therefore, the white almond blossom is a symbol of life and purity. Now, when, when a bunch of us went to Spain and we went traveling around, there's a lot of imagery that's around you all over the place when you go through Spain. And some of it is of Moorish or Muslim uh, origin, and some of it is Jewish in Christian origin, and one of the things that we found as we traveled around is pomegranates and the significance of those. And again, when, you, when you're uninformed, you can see things and not even be aware that there's significance to that. And sometimes as we read through Scripture, we, we read through that thinking, what's the significance of this? I don't get it. 
because it's so distant and foreign to us. But I'm thankful that there are a lot of scholars, people that have gone well before us, that have explored these things and have, have um, identified some of the significance of, of these things. So um, God paid attention to the details from the beginning. For he commanded that every single almond blossom on the menorah should consist of three parts, namely the cups, the buds, and blossoms, or the petals. Together they are three times 22 equals 66 single flower parts. Anybody remember why 66 is a kind of a key number for us? 66 books in our Bible. Okay? And you guys, like I said, it's go, it goes way deeper than that. There's so much more um, that's so fun to dig into. But discovering the person of God, God is camping out with his people. And, and Tommy, uh, a couple Sundays ago, preached on Psalm 139. And what, what I put in my notes, and I don't know, Tommy, if you actually concluded it this way, but this is how I concluded it. Uh, the knowledge of God will change your life. And Psalm 139, 7 through 12 says, where can I go from your spirit? So when you guys go camping this summer, you may not be here at this building, but you're still the church. You haven't exited God's ability to hang out with you and your family. In fact, I would, I would say to you that God loves hanging out with you and your family while you're camping. I think God... I think God enjoys being with us. But as we look at this, if I take the wind, or if, um, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. The presence of God, or the knowledge of God can change my life, but church, the presence of God can change a nation. The presence of God will change a nation. And that's what, what we've talked about in the past few weeks is that God is not only coming to camp out with his people, but he's coming there because in his presence, a change will occur that still impacts the nation of Israel, still impacts the Christian church today. What we're talking about here easily uh, is 3,500 to 4,000 years ago. But God is revealing himself in the details. And like I've referred to, that when you go camping, you're discovering. A lot of times you've already been to your favorite spot because you discovered where you like to go camping. But when we talk about God camping out with his people, it's a process of him revealing himself and a process of people discovering who God is. So as we look at the light in the holy place, the sanctuary, 
the constants of this light. The, these candles <clears throat> will burn down. I think Justin and I were talking about that. Will, will these burn out? Yes. They will reach a pot, part or a point where they, they get down and there's no more wick to burn. Um, but the constants of the light is in Leviticus 24, verses 2 through 4. It says, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. Outside the veil of testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. He shall keep the lamps in order on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. So 24-7, 365 days a year, the lamp, the lamp is burning. And it's burning because all of Israel is going to participate in providing the oil for that. Now, one thing that we're going to explore more in detail next week is the aim of the light. But it's critical to understand that it's providing light in a place that otherwise would remain dark. The entrance has been supplied. Without the light, the priest would at best be able to just grope and, and, and try and find, where'd that bread go? And I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying necessarily to be funny, but I'm wanting us to understand something that we can have an entrance in, but if the light isn't supplied to be able to figure out what's going on, that the best we can do is grope and hope that we can find our way. And, and I love, and I think some of you know that I, I'm referring to that place in Acts. Uh, I believe it's the Apostle Paul that, that says that, and perhaps that we might grope for him and find him. But fortunately, we don't have to grope for God. We don't have to try and feel our way. He has made a way that not only is illuminated through his son, but it's illuminated down through history and the history of the Old Testament that shows us things that build our faith. I, I'm really hoping that in showing you guys this, that it's building your faith in that God is a God of details. God is a God of the details of your life. But the light shines to illuminate this pattern of the heavenly. The details give place to see God not only reveals himself, but uses, like I said, the details to strengthen our faith. The biblical menorah, for example, is uh, a reference to the Bible, the light of the world. The menorah has a symbolism for eternity, for there is a clear correlation between the construction of the menorah and the structure of the Bible. This is especially evident at three points. And by the way, one of the places where Hans and I geeked out just a little bit is that some scholars believe that the menorah actually uh, was in reference to the tree of life. And in looking back to that, and, uh, and somebody, well, it was Paula that said, tarry and, and wait for the Holy Spirit. And the oil in the lamp represents the Holy Spirit. That The lamp goes out if we don't have the oil. And we know Jesus told that story about the ten virgins. And, and we may refer to that a bit more next week. But I want you guys to understand, this symbolism just continues to unpack and the three points that it, um, 
identifies with the structure of the Bible is number one, the 49 scrolls of the Bible. Now, if you guys can keep up with me, I'm, I'm just reading this right now because it's a lot for me to retain. <laughs> so the Hebrew alpha, alphabet has 22 letters. And the Greek has 27 letters. In total, there are 22 plus 27 equals 49 letters. The menorah has 22 almond blossoms, and the Old Testament has been written on 22 scrolls. The 22 almond flowers on the menorah are a symbol of the 22 scrolls of the Old Testament, the basis of our Bible. The menorah has 3 times 8 plus 3 equals 27 connections from the lowest to the top flower of the shaft toward the six lamps. The six is the number of man, and the New Testament was given on 27 scrolls. The 27 connections stands for the 27 books of the New Testament. Together they are 27 plus 20, or 22 plus 27 equals 49 scrolls of the Bible. Is that kind of fun? I know it's just kind of geeky stuff, but I think it's fun. And I think God intended it. Okay, number two. The seven parts of the Bible, the menorah has seven lamps, and the Bible consists of seven parts. Each of these parts symbolizes a lamp. For the word of God is the light for our dark world. The seven parts are, one, the law, two, the prophets, three, the writings, four, the gospels, five, the acts of the apostles, six, the epistles, and seven, revelation. Number three, the 66 and 70 books of the Bible. Each almond flower consists of three parts, cups, buds, and blossoms and petals, or blossoms slash petals. Together they are three times 22 equals 66 almond blossom items. On the center shaft are four almond blossoms with a total of 12 flower items. On the left side of the menorah there are three times three times three equals 27 flower parts on the three arms. The 12 flower parts on the stem plus the 27 flower parts on the left side are a reference to the basis of the Bible, namely the 12 plus 27 equals 39 books of the Old Testament. The other 3 times 3 times 3 equals 27 flower parts on the right side of the shaft indicate the 27 books of the New Testament. In addition, there are exactly 3 times 7 equals 21 connections between the 22 almond blossoms. The Old Testament was written on 22 scrolls, but it contains a total of 39 individual books. The New Testament was written on 27 scrolls, and here each scroll corresponds to a single book. The entire Bible was written on 49 scrolls and contains 66 individual books. Could you guys even begin to follow that? The golden lampstand then serves to illuminate the entrance into holiness. His word is lighting the path. We know that um, the psalmist wrote that, and, and we sing that song, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The first part of which uh, his illumination of the entrance into holiness is to recognize that God has made a way for us to know him, to, to discover that he is the giver of life and that he is the sustainer of life, that our lives are continually before him. In church, I know sometimes you go through things and you wonder, where is God in the midst of this? And I just got to tell you, God never forgets you. He didn't have a forgetful moment. I love to tell you guys that God is not fickle. He doesn't love you one day and hate you the next. God always loves you. 
The other thing is we go in and the golden lampstand serves to illuminate the entrance into the holiness is that our lives are constantly before him and are precious to him, the bread of presence. So conclusion this morning. I'm, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a teaser. One, I, I said I was going to explain that top part and, and this is where we run into a bit of a problem because if we turned the lights off right now, if we could make this place completely dark, the candles would just illuminate everywhere, right? But those bowls were made in such a way that there was a reflective piece sitting back behind the flame. And we'll look at another portion of Scripture next week that explains that and talks about that. So every one of them would have been made to where it was aiming the light a particular direction. And if you're here next week and, and, and you, hear, you hear this again, you'll just have to live with it, all right? Maybe God wants to get it in your head a little bit more and in your heart. But when I think about that, I'm thinking that the table is illuminating the bread of presence. And we're going we're gonna to unpack just, we're going to begin unpacking the third main piece of furnishing that's in the holy place. And, and, we'll, and we'll talk again later about the holy of holies. But as we enter into this holy place, this sanctuary, these lights are aimed at a particular direction. And if I could just say, say to you guys that we shine with him. If, if we could remember that this middle candle represents Christ and our light, if we have any, is derived from him. Is this making sense to you guys? So that we shine with him to illuminate his kingdom presence and power. This represents his kingdom presence and power. What's his kingdom and presence and power consist of? At, at that time, it was the people of Israel because he's revealing himself to the people of Israel in an intimate way. Never happened before. This is taking place. He's revealing himself that way. And these lights that are in us are meant to aim to focus on worshiping him and realizing that the priest represented all Israel before the Lord. And I want to say to you, church, that I really believe that as Christians, we are meant to represent our people before the Lord. What's that mean? Thank you, Nick, for that beautiful segue. <laughs> I, if, if I could say it this way, only the priest went into the tabernacle. Y'all come to this building that we errantly refer to as the church. This building, I mean, I can't tell you how much this is just getting reinforced in my heart. This building isn't the church. We shouldn't call it the church. I know you still will. I know some of you have been calling it the church for so many years you can't help yourself. And I still do it too because I grew up as a part of the church. But more often than not now, in fact, Hans, I, I texted him yesterday and I said, are you going to be at the gathering tomorrow? 
because this, this is a gathering place for a portion of the church. We are not the only church, right? We are a portion of the body of Christ, and the church, if we're going to define it in a biblical manner, we would say the church is all believers, past and present. All believers of Jesus Christ, past and present, because we have a cloud of witnesses that are part of the church that are cheering us on right now. And I believe right now they're in heaven going, Amen, Kenny! We had no idea what you guys were talking about going to church. We didn't go to church back in the first century. We went to Chuck's house, which would be a small place to go, by the way. All right? It would be a small group at Chuck and Paula's place. But you guys get what I'm saying is that only the priest went into the tabernacle, and a lot of us are... We're like priests who are going to the tabernacle and we're, we're meeting with God. We're meeting with one another. We're getting built up. But I'm telling you, we're taking the church to the world. And we intercede for the world around us. And as long as we see this as our religious duty and we're done for the week, we're as guilty as the people that we call heathens. People who don't know Christ. Does that answer your question? So, you know, I, I remember a friend um, being asked the question, where's your church? They are wondering where the building was in the town. And he said, what time is it? It's, uh, it's one o'clock. Oh, my church, let's see. Right now, got a couple people at the hospital. Got a guy working on a FedEx truck driving around town somewhere making deliveries. Got a lady cleaning houses. There's a guy delivering Coke. That's, you guys get the point? Got an engineer drawing up plans for things going on. He's, he's, he's building a sewer. That's where the church is. This is the gathering place of the Living Fortress Foursquare Church. But I don't even like putting church on it. I know uh, Kenny's getting crazy right now. He's trying to change the entire world in one Sunday. But do you guys get the point? We refer to it, and I've said this before, we leave the church. Well, the church wasn't meeting my needs. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. We're always in church. So so I might have ruined some of your guys' camping trips. I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing on your camping trip? You know, because you are the church wherever you are. You can't you can't go, well, I left that there, you know, and here I go. And see, I think that's one of the things that the enemy has done is he's used our terminology against us so that we don't understand the significance of what, what God showed us in the tabernacle in the shadow 
of the things that are eternal in the heavenlies are meant to be, and I'll just say it, and you guys are going to hear it again next week, I hope, is, is this. I think when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he was saying that was the shadow, the real thing is here. And I think his intent is that we live the real thing now. I'm not saying that I'm not looking forward to heaven, but I think we're missing out on a lot of the power right now because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it doesn't matter what we're doing. The kingdom of God is at hand. For you, Emily, isn't that mind-blowing? I mean, you know your past better than anybody else in here. No, God knows it even better, and he's still for you. That church is amazing. This is amazing grace. This is amazing love. That he took our place. He was that sacrifice. But I'm, I'm totally ripping apart next week. So. so here's what I, I want to suggest that we go for next week is, is how do we aim our lives? How do we aim our lives in a way that illuminates, puts the light in the proper location? And, and I'll just leave you one other thing. Most of us spend more time illuminating the church than we do the kingdom of God. Chuck. Is within you. Amen. So what do I mean by... Focusing on the focusing our light on the church rather than the kingdom. Next week. All right. Yeah. Well, Lord, thank you for the the shadow, as the writer of Hebrews calls it, the the pattern of things that you showed Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him instruction. And as that definition became realized, as, as the pieces started coming together, and the nation of Israel began to realize that their king was at the center of their camp, that heaven came down, and your glory was revealed to the nation of Israel. And because of that, Lord, that shadow was then fulfilled in your son. And Lord, if that shadow was fulfilled in your son, then I believe there's some things that you want to fulfill in your church today that are specific to this time, this place, this season. That Lord, sometimes we're putting our hope in the political system of our country or the lack thereof. We get upset because we see things going on and we want to fight against those things. Lord, I pray that you would help us learn how to aim our light in the proper direction so that, Lord, it would put the glory back on you. It would put the focus back on you and give room for you, God, to bring change in people's hearts. 
pray, Lord, that as you reveal yourself to us individually and corporately, that we'd learn ways that we can maybe make adjustments in our own lives, make adjustments in even the words that we use so that, God, you are glorified more. That we shine the light of your glory in a way that will help illuminate the way of holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.